podcast ain't played nobody. Revenge edition. You, okay. you. What time is it right now? Tell everyone what time it is right now. All right, it's about bedtime. It's like two forty-five p.m. It's that's past, right. It's, that's right. That's right. It's late. The entire chemistry of this show has been upended, Bill, because normally we record usually what between like eight and ten a.m. Okay. Because of my weird travel this week, I'm in the middle of campus visits, working on some other stories. We have to record right now on a Monday afternoon. It's almost four o'clock on the East Coast. Your power is slowly leaving your body, and I know. Yeah, it. this is the point of the day where I really try to, uh, you know, get something pretty brainless knocked out to avoid falling asleep. Um, so this is tough. We're gonna, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to power me through this one a little bit. Whereas everything I've ever, anything that anyone's ever read that they've even remotely liked of mine, starts at about four o'clock Eastern. The idea of me writing something substantial before noon, that's impossible. Absolutely impossible. What time, for those of you who don't know, by the way, uh, Bill gets up about 2, 3 in the morning. What time do you actually get up in the morning? 4. Oh, he laughs at me like I'm making an exaggeration. And then the man volunteers that he gets up at 4 a.m. You don't commute. At one, yeah, point, at one point when I was a kid, my dad had to commute in and out of Washington, D.C. It was like 20 miles one way. And he would get up at 4.30 in the morning. And he was in the FBI. You get up, like, give me the first 30 minutes of your day. Uh, wake up. Walk into the kitchen. Uh, the dog pees on her pee pad and gets a treat. Uh, then she gets fed. Uh, and then I sit down and I uh, get the recliner, lean back. And I got my coffee. I uh, got my carpal tunnel uh, gloves on. Maybe, maybe, my God, maybe you're too detailed on this. I'm, yeah, you asked, and so this is it. And right. then I start uh, doing whatever, start doing whatever rock-in things I got to do for the day. Try to knock those out first, and then move on to my preview. Uh, preview writing usually starts between about five and five thirty in the morning. So and you're doing the heavy lifting, and it's before six. Now, what's funny is, I mean, I'm doing this work, and, and part of it's brainless. Part of it requires a little bit of thought. I can't really speak, though. Sometimes my wife will get up early because she wants to work out before the kid gets up or whatever, uh, and she'll try to have a conversation. I'm just like, what? what it's, so, like, my mouth is still asleep. My, like, the brain's going. The eyes are mostly awake. But it takes a little while to get the mouth to where it's willing to actually kind of do anything but drink coffee. So uh, that, that, that gets awkward sometimes. Well, it literally is a complete inverse of how anything I've ever done for my job would occur at all. Um, especially the part where your brain wakes up before your mouth. I think most people would argue that that never happens for me. Hey, yo, dad joke. This is podcasting played nobody. It's a college football marriage of number, uh, numbers and words. Uh, he's the robot Bill Connolly. He invented the S&P Plus analytics system. He wrote a bunch of books. They're on Amazon. You should buy them. If you don't, we'll find out. My name is Stephen Godfrey, and I have a conundrum, Bill. What's that? It's this hurts. I don't even know how to. I just so I got famous, and I would say like, I would say two and a half minutes of Kardashian fame famous this summer for inventing a drink, okay? <laughs> and I affectionately titled it the Pensacola, as I view Pensacola to be the superior Florida beach. Um, I don't want to hear anything about thirty eight, or I'll punch you in your pastel polo face. All right, um, I. Live and die by the Starbucks. Not in a pretentious way, but just in a way that I do a lot of traveling. A lot of that traveling is not necessarily in the most um, 
cosmopolitan of places, and I need to establish outposts. Now, I also kind of measure my life by Chipotle's, and a lot of you listening are thinking, oh, wow, they had, like, some sort of E. coli outbreak or what. You know what? I, every time I roll the dice on Chipotle, Chipotle does right by me, okay? Yeah. Never had a problem. Right, whereas you go and some of these chain restaurants in, in small towns across America are absolutely disgusting. And I bring all this up because I am going to do a visit this week, and I'm, it's like a 48-hour deal. I, there is no Starbucks anywhere near this college town. Like, not even, I I can't even find one in the student union. I don't know what to do about this. Do I just order the drinks in, like, in this, in the major city that's, like, two hours away and just schlep it in, like, a cooler? Uh This is a total conundrum. This is gonna, this is gonna screw my entire day. So, you're talking about... This is not BYU, before anybody wants to make a caffeine joke. It's not. So, this is, so you, you basically... Try to get your Pensacola supplies wherever you can get them. Well, I mean, you can walk into, because I did this headed to Pensacola, ironically, in, like, some tiny-ass town in the little, like, before you get to Mobile, down in Alabama, into some, like, like an Aldi or, like, some rough-ass country grocery store and got the Coconut LaCroix, all right? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. I don't know if it was an Aldi, but it was, like, something, it was not nice. No Publix. Not talking about a Publix here. Okay, not even a, not even a K Roger. Not even a food line. All right. So, I guess I'm just gonna have to go and like bring in some sort of like large container to to the major city Starbucks that I'm gonna go to and just be like, hey, can you just fill this up? And they'll be like, I'm sorry, sir. That would be like nineteen dollars worth of iced coffee. And I'll be like, I don't care. I'm expensing it. Which, by the way, if we if we really want to set bets for the season, which we have to do next week. Uh, where I make my proclamations and all that. Um, I want to maybe figure out, Let's. I don't think my managing editor, Brian Floyd, listens to this, um, if I'm going to waste an entire day of work this year counting up how much money I've expensed in Starbucks. What do you think that What do you think that dollar figure is, Bill? Well, God, I mean, I, I don't travel as much as you do, and, and mine is easily, well, I mean, okay, it's probably like for me, and, and again, I don't know your habits. For me, it's probably like, Eight to nine dollars a day, basically yeah. two two venti pike places with two extra shots and some and some two percent milk. That's okay. my two yeah. of those are about nine bucks. Mm-hmm. So I would assume you don't top that. That would be impressive. Mm-hmm. No, I'll throw a breakfast sandwich in there. Went to Bowling Green. Yeah. Uh, we're recording this on a Monday. I was at uh, Western Kentucky yesterday on Sunday for a visit with Coach Sanford up there. Mike Sanford used to coach at Stanford. Um, I am never going to be able to deliver the phrase Mike Sanford in a sentence without wanting to hit the tee. I don't know how we're going to handle this. I don't know what we're going to do. Um, but, yeah, I'm on a coach's tour in the middle of reporting about Ole Miss and Mississippi State and Leo Lewis and all that stuff, as well as um, getting together our preview stuff. We did our 2007 podcast last week. I think I had 100% in my mentions positive praise on something. Now, granted, I only wrote two pieces on a, on the huge project, but it's not like I did it all or you did it all. But I don't think I had a single negative reaction to anything with 2007, and I think that would be a first. Yeah, I think we even won over Michigan fans. Um, and well, that's, give me that's a week. Impossible. Give me that's a week. Impossible. So, um, so that was inc- that was super incredible, positive, super duper happy about that. Um, if you follow us on social media, we're probably going to continue to push that because it took a long time to put together. And I don't really want to, you know, to be honest, it kind of makes me sad to shift over and do season preview stuff because I don't I don't want that thing to die, you know. 
I want the weirdness to live forever. Um, so in the interest of this show, since we're going to be a little loose today, I'm going to talk a little bit about my visits, where I'm headed, where I went. Um, you are traveling this week, although not for work. We'll touch on where we're going to go in your preview as we get to the heart of the matter, really. We're, we're coming closer to the end. Um, and then we'll do a couple reader questions mixed in. So since I just mentioned 2007, our good pal Luke Hanselman at Luke Hanselman asks both of us, um, if SB Nation were to do another book of articles on a year of college football other than 2007, which year would you want to revisit? I'm going to let you go first because I'm don't. i probably just going to steal your answer. <laughs> um, I think the just thinking back, like that's about as far back as you can go it, to really – I mean, some of us are pretty old at this point, but to really incorporate all the writers, get everybody involved in a way that they remember this stuff, it's kind of got to be in the last 10 years. So really, I think my, the obvious answer here from the last ten years is is, is thirteen, um, twenty thirteen, yeah. pretty yeah. wild. And you had the the just the amazing home stretch, which is really, I guess, if we were to write a quote unquote book about that, it would be thirteen different pieces about Auburn, which you know maybe that doesn't carry just a ton of uh, you know heft with some national appeal. But, but that was still a, a, just a nutty season. The, you know the. There was the Jameis Winston uh, plot line to it that wasn't very much fun for anybody involved. But, you know, the games were just weird and crazy and, and plot twists and all that. In terms of plot twists, the only other year I can really conceive of, it would either be 2010, which had all those, like, you know, three straight number ones losing uh, in the middle of the year, uh, or 2014, where all the teams that were good in September and October completely flipped in November and December. That was going to be my vote, um, was, is, is going to be 2014, especially because it's also the first playoff year. And I think that in a couple years, we'll know what that meant. I don't know if we know what it means now, but when people ask me about like lasting moments in terms of just the football things I witnessed, I do think mm-hmm. that Ohio State-Alabama game will continue to reverberate and have a trickle-down effect in so many different decisions and things for five, ten more years, honestly. Does it, though? Because, I mean, now we're back to the whole nobody can beat Alabama thing, even when Alabama loses. I don't believe that, though. I'm, I'm of the, you know, it's so binary when you talk about this team, but, like, you know, it's not like the Tide Dynasty's dead, and it's not like they're unbeatable. I just feel, I mean, they're probably, I think they could take two L's this year. I really do. Maybe three. I felt that way last year. I was I was wrong, but you know, I don't. Win. We take the opposite approach. I just pick them to win every game ever, and I'm almost always right. Well, I would if I'm in your situation. I do the same thing, but I don't have to pick anything. No one ever lets me do that because they're smart, and I also don't like to do that kind of stuff. I don't. We don't even predict games on a week to week level on this show, yeah. which I stand by. By the way, I think I think we should pick viewing experiences because who the hell cares if you win or lose? Um, I would pick 2014. I think um, for so for that game that I just spoke of, um, and then I'm trying to think of things that happened in 2014 now that would stick out. See, this is the problem. We can sit here and talk about stuff. We don't know how it's going to reflect in in even two or three more years. So it's a little tricky, you know. It's like when you write books about presidents, you have to take four like four to eight years or something. Um, Probably won't be the case after this next one, but um, well, let's just say too that one of the other plot lines from 2014 was TCU Baylor, and that that is uh, taken some weird turns in the three years since. TCU Baylor is so not that anyone asked, but when I speak to journalism, journalism classes, they always ask about like what you know how do how do you how would you improve or you know are, when are you critical of yourself? 
Um, I you probably remember when I was working on that story. I wish I could go back in time and completely flush that that whole thing. I spent a week in Dallas around Big Twelve Media Day trying to like grab these interviews and run around and frame the TCU Baylor rivalry in completely the wrong way. And I just hate it. I really hate it. I hate it because of the seriousness of the matter that unfolded afterwards. I hate it because I'm scared of it happening again. Because I took what, what was an awesome football thing, like a football thing is the best way to describe it. You know, this this uprising of a sudden rivalry that engaged the country. And, you know, look what it did in the, the, the home stretch of the season, yada, yada, yada. And it just... I don't know. I feel like we got it all wrong. I feel like we took... Everyone was so in love with Baylor, and I don't know. Sometimes when you put down your critical eyes, really, really terrible stuff can happen, so it scares me. Um, man, I got dark there for a second. I really mean well, to. I know, and it's not like we were to blame for the bad things that happened. I know, I know. It's not. No one could have known it's, it's, at this time. It always yeah. feels weird when you enjoy something that turns out to be bad. <laughs> Reprehensible. Um, right. No, and I think we talked about this in the spring... Mac Rhodes, by all accounts, good hire. A little tone deaf in the press conference last summer. Um, I kind of I put him on blast in an article, and I still think that you know I stand by what I wrote. Obviously, I think it was a play at Baylor to to be as attractive as possible to football coaches. It wasn't this whole like culture cleansing crap. Matt Rule, nice guy. Your boy Bill C and I shot the breeze with him at the AAC media event last year. We were all hanging out at the cookout, right? Just super laid back, good guy. Great hire. Uh, I don't have anything for or against the people of Waco or anyone who goes to that university, but at the same time, I don't know if I'll ever, ever, ever want to go and write anything about Baylor. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. I don't know. It's just it's Yeah, strange. no, I mean, it's, it's, it's human nature, you know, and it's a shame, too. I mean, if Rule builds a wonderfully classy program that wins a lot of games it'll still feel weird to to kind of go back to hey Baylor's a feel-good story like it took a few years it feels weird every time I write about Penn State you know I I I blatantly called Penn State the the most fun team in the country last year and even that feels a little weird and they nobody there had anything to do with uh, any of the bad stuff that happened before they got there and so it it is just it's human nature You, you just can't help those kind of tying those things together in your brain, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Very little strange. Um, all right, we actually have, as we were recording this, we have some pretty good questions. You guys finally came with it. I feel like we've had yeah, some seriously. Apparently, the afternoon people are actually awake. And, See, this, and is, I, this is how the normal world acts, Bill. This well, are you going to start editing it then? Ha 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 ha. No, absolutely no. not. God no. Okay. Um, so. Let's see, where do we want to go next? Um, I saw a good transition question. Did they delete it? It's possible. I think they did. Oh, here, no, here we go. Brian Mann, I saw this as we were speaking, at Bman underscore 2017. He asked, how could you let 38 Godfrey, allegedly having a kid, no, it's real, trust me, uh, get in the way of covering the independence? I want to know where UMass will be in three years. Um, was this because I was out when you did the independence? Is that what he's saying? I think so. Yeah, I think that was. Uh, we weren't. We kind of. I, I wasn't asking uh, Stephen Gaither or Manny Diaz about like the independence in the Big Twelve and whatnot. Uh, okay, B. Uh, first off, how many independents do we have in college football right now? We have UMass, Army, UMass, Army, Notre Dame, BYU. Cool. Okay, we talk about Notre Dame a lot. We talk. We talk about BYU a lot. Um, yeah. It, I guess we've talked about quite. I, I, well, yeah, you stole my thunder. There. I was like, I wrote five thousand words about Army within the last calendar year, and 
I guess maybe maybe Brian's a UMass fan. Yeah. Hang so, on. Hang on. Let me get on this profile real fast. No. No, he's... Okay, never mind. I clicked on it, and it's a picture of him and his, what I assume to be his girlfriend or maybe sister in front of Touchdown Jesus, and it's his class of 2017, Notre Dame. Well, tough. You're going to get UMass talk right at the start of podcast Ain't Play Nobody. <laughs> um, don't tip me. Um, where's UMass going to be in three years? Uh, I mean... Mexico. Yeah, you just have to kind of. It is a weird end game for them because the only conference that makes any sense at all geographically is the American, uh, which has no motivation to bring them aboard. Nope. I mean, number one, they've got a. You know, I, I realize their basketball program hasn't been all that great recently, but it still has the kind of the Marcus Camby kind of memory to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I think they, that carries at least a little bit of heft. Uh, but football, they just need to. What, I mean, I this is like a cop out answer at this point. But if they can just figure out how to be pretty decent, be presentable to mid majors, we know that there's going to be more shuffling in five, ten years. Um, I mean, maybe they end up back in SDS. I have no idea. But um, they they've done a really interesting job of scheduling. Um, like just the, looking at their 2017 schedule, they've had this weird home and home with Hawaii, which is very funny. But, I'm um, dying to know what the numbers on that are. Like, serious. why was that a good idea for anybody? I, don't know. I mean, it, that was like a novelty. Like, hey, that's, that'd be funny. And then they actually have to do it once they've signed it. Also, um, it, it, unlike a normal long distance trip to recruit, or, or long distance trip uh, that's that's out of conference play, you you can't recruit. Yeah. To the no, other, no. the other, you wouldn't want to. <laughs> Very weird. So this is the schedule. They've got home games against Hawaii, Old Dominion, not exactly close, but kind of within the, the right quartile, uh, Ohio, Georgia Southern, Appalachian State, and Maine. So you've got Sun Belt, you've got Mac, you've got a nearby FCS in, in, in Hawaii. Um, a decent little mix there. Then on, on road trips, you just hosted Mississippi State last, I think last year, the year before. Yeah, the uh, Stadium. You go to Mississippi State, you go to BYU, uh, an, a fellow independent, uh, you go to USF, you go to Tennessee and Temple, uh, Temple, another nearby-ish school, and you go to Coastal Carolina. So you've got, I mean, if you get keep getting schedules like that, you don't have any bowl affiliations here. You just kind of have to look into that, I guess. But, you know, you can at least put together a program that is like top 90, top 80, something like that, win six or seven games a couple times, and yeah. just try to make yourself presentable. That, that's all you can really do. I think they'll be pretty fun this year. Um, good, like a good amount, of, a decent amount of continuity on offense and a ton of continuity on their terrible defense, which should uh, help at least a little bit. Win four or five games, try to get up to six or seven and just see what happens. That's really, if you're going to stay in FBS, that's all you can hope for. See what happens and hope that eventually somehow the, everything realigns to the You just got to beg your way into the MAC. Well, they, they were in the MAC. I know, but I'm saying you just got to beg your way back. <laughs> I, I, don't really, I don't really know if that's in the cards. But. You, cannot survive, you cannot survive as an independent in FBS unless you're Notre Dame. If BYU is actively trying to throw themselves at major conferences, and they are, well, I mean, they won't make the concessions needed, and I don't know if the appeal is there anymore, but I don't know how you can do it. Well, they can do it. It's just a big pain, and they'll continue, to, different, they'll continue to be a big pain. Army's very different, and if Army continues the incremental success under Munkin, and they get to be set, even if they're, if, let's just say consistently year in and year out, and it would take a long time for you to make this comparison, honestly, because because Nehemiah knows them so well, but if they're 75% of what Navy has been five years from now, 
they could join an AAC or a QSA if they wanted to. But nobody at Army wants to join the QSA again. Nobody at Army really wants to join the AAC. They kind of like what they are right now, especially given where they are on their on their path, on their rebuilding. So, I don't know. Yeah, when, very when, when your current state doesn't match your ambition anymore, you, you, you look into what moves you can make. But right now, they're fine. Okay, so Army and Notre Dame, those are the only exceptions. I think you got you to gotta survive. I think BYU will be fine. And uh, if they ever want to go back to the Mountain West, they probably can. Mm. But I think they're fine. Let me clarify, since, I, since we both do a lot of BYU radio for some reason. Um, BYU is not going to die. The program's not going to fold. But BYU has aspirations of being something akin to Notre Dame, and they can't be. They have to join. If they're serious about being a national title contending program, which is what they will tell you with a straight face, then they are going to have to join a conference. They're going well, they to have to have a conference to join. I know. Hence the problem. So until then, you're going to have those window years like we've talked about many times on this show, and then you know, you're even with the consistency that they've had or the inconsistency they've had, it was a transition year for a coach, you end up, you know, three, four, five losses, and then you probably have to wait three or four or five more years. And that's not what they want out there. So, um, by the way, I was really just kind of messing with the listener. I didn't think you were going to break down Maine. But you know what? That's the danger of listening to this program. Yeah, you, you know what you're getting here. You know if, true. if it's a challenge, you know I'm going to accept it. All right, I'm going to jump on this. I was looking for a transition into my little coach visit thing, but um, I keep th- – so our friend Dakota Moyer here, at Dak Moyer, will Georgia State's acquisition of Turner Field encourage more teams to explore the possibility of renovating old stadiums? Bill, I've been watching this thing nonstop. I don't know why. I have no connection to Georgia State. I'm from Georgia originally. I guess it's, I'm, a, I'm a Braves fan. I, maybe that's it. I don't know. So on Instagram, on Twitter, a lot of the coaching staff has been retweeting the pictures of the progress right now. You can go online and check it out. Um, there's a couple of videos that sort of show how this is coming together. And if you don't know, so Georgia State starts a football program a couple of years ago. They rent the Georgia Dome. Predictably, they fail to put anyone in the Georgia Dome. So you get that terrible kind of hollowed out feel of playing in a stadium that's way too big for you. They made one of the smartest moves I've seen in sports in terms of um, acquiring a property or facility stadium and all of sports in North America by going to the going to the city of Atlanta and pitching not a demo and not a straight out acquisition, but basically a blend of taking Turner Field and putting its football team there. And doing a partial demo, which they haven't even started yet. They're going to open the season. If you can just sort of, if you're driving, don't close your eyes. But the rest of you, imagine a uh, you know a, a typical modern baseball stadium because the TED was only twenty some odd years years old. It was built for the '96 Olympics. Okay, and then at home plate would be the left corner of the. Let me get this right. It would be the left corner of one of the end zones, and then basically a football field running parallel with the third baseline. Okay, and then they're going to take the first base side and eventually chop it down, and then there will be bleach, uh, like kind of concrete bleachers running along the new sideline on the right side. It sounds terrible. It looks awesome. They've done a hell of a job, and and they're not even done yet. It also take a guess at how much something like that costs, Bill. Not as much as building from scratch, I'm guessing. Exactly, twenty two million dollars. Okay, that's dirt cheap. That's dirt cheap. First off, Georgia State in Midtown, in Atlanta, was never going to find a spot to put a brand new stadium up. They were never going to find the land. They were never going to find the funding. What they're going to do here is mix in housing as well as actual buildings for campus, so administration, school, all that. Basically basically create a campus 
down by the TED, uh, put a bunch of residences around it, which is what the Braves could never do, and then have like a kind of badass looking college football stadium. It's amazing. I don't know why I'm so interested in it, but I'm just like. So to answer the question that Dak asked, I don't know, but I think people should. I'm totally down for this. Now, there, it's not like you can go into uh, – I'm trying to think of an old, old pro stadium that's still standing. Um, well, right, that's that's one of the problems here. There aren't yeah. many of them. Most of them get blown uh, up. They usually, right, they usually get pushed out of the way for the new stadium. Um, I think most of the – first off, the, so the TED was not – was not that old. It was built in 96. It was Olympic Stadium. And then it yeah. was cut about a, about a, a little between a quarter and a third of it was cut out and then repurposed. And that's why they had that big sort of Tron thing and an outdoor plaza in the outfield was because that used to be part of Olympic Stadium. So it was never a particularly good place to watch baseball. Um, I don't know of anywhere else in the country where people could do this quite so easily. Like you remember when we were kids, all of the stadiums were multi-purpose, right? So yeah. Synergy in Cincinnati, Fulton County in Atlanta, Three Rivers in Pittsburgh, um, St. Louis had Bush. Yeah. So you would stick, basically, you would stick every sport you could in there and it would all be bad viewing experiences. Right. Like, I, yeah, I watched, I watched a baseball game, um, in like 01 at Three Rivers. Brian Giles hit a home run. I never saw it. Like, I saw, I heard the, it hit the bat and everybody cheered. I never saw the ball because the overhang. Exactly. Like, RFK was the one I went to as a kid for, um, God, I can't remember if I saw a baseball game. Probably not a baseball game in RFK, but growing up in D.C. But, you know, I saw, like, NFL games and Major League Baseball games in Fulton County, and they were both kind of hard to watch. Um, I don't know of another situation. I, I will say this as an interesting transition. Can you name me the team that's about to be completely homeless? Uh, I am blanking entirely. San Diego State. So now the I thought Char- they were keeping that up. Nope, now that the Chargers are gone, they can't be the sole occupant. Too expensive. Oh. So, San Diego State has nowhere. As of right now, San Diego State is trying to figure out what they're going to do with their future. Now, I don't... They're also going to relocate to L.A.? (laughs) God, I would... Man, I feel so bad for fans like that. I'm trying to to figure out what's worse. Like, to have the 28-3 moment or to lose your team entirely or to like lose your, <laughs> or lose your team to the city that you hate that's like 50 miles north I mean or to be a Bills right. fan I don't know um, I would love to see this stack I cannot even sit here and think of a weird example I, I'll also use the waning seconds of this answer to say that we really do need to do something about Legion Field soon before that thing collapses and kills a bunch of people oh my god it's like kind of only half joking there um yeah. <laughs> This is a this is a strange one. Um, definitely a new story that fell under the way off the radar. Um, at Jimmy She O three, Jim Shylander or Shelander, I don't know. What have you heard from coaches with regard to wakey leaks and if it's changing their behavior at all? Um, I talked to two coaches that were involved in wakey leaks. Um, they felt like it was very semantic and that if the initial discovery hadn't occurred, obviously yes, obviously they wouldn't have gotten caught, but also. I think the way that the discovery was made, they felt like didn't portray what what basically they were offered information. They didn't really know. A couple of them didn't know what they were getting at the time. Um, this kind of um, trade craft happens every week in college football, every single week. Um, I don't think it's changed any kind of behavior at all. In fact, there was a quote from – I don't know if we talked about this in the last show, Bill, but there was a quote from Bob Shoup, the defensive coordinator at Tennessee, formerly of Penn State, who said – who basically admitted in an interview with local media in Knoxville, yeah, I look at everything I can on the internet in yeah. terms of news reports. 
So for years, people would be like, oh, I don't want to read that. You know, the old, the old coach adage would be like, I don't read that. No one reads that. They read everything. Which makes me believe that you are the most most read, most often cited, do you think, coach, or, like, among coaches, they have to be reading what you're writing. I know, like, people, coaches have reached out to you before privately, but, they, like, I think the numbers are way higher than even we know. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, there's no way to verify that, but, I mean, I, I would guess that, I mean, if you're Googling your name or your team or the matchup, stuff I write's going to pop up. Um, I need to make those stat profiles a little more SEO-friendly, but, um, no, and... You know, what's funny is, you know, Shoup admits that. Meanwhile, Tennessee basically scrubs any evidence of any depth chart ever from its website. <laughs> uh, because, you know, a depth chart is going to, oh, oh, he's second string. Oh, that changes everything. Um, I, I, the, I, I was going to make a joke that, you know, the Wakey Leaks thing, it could not possibly make coaches any more paranoid. Mm-hmm. But it can always make them more paranoid and more ridiculous in the, in the restrictions that they're putting on things. And... You know, uh, your your boy Ed this week. Man, uh, people are freaking out. I mean, it's it's really ridiculous. It, it is. I, I don't want to. I'm not going to go like the highfalutin. You know, that's you know that's a, that was such a misstep on his part. Well, no, if he wins, if he wins all his games, then there is no such thing as a misstep. But uh, yeah, LSU has closed its practices entirely through summer camp. Um, this is not uncommon. They are not the only school in the country that does this. But them. <laughs> They LSU doing this for the first time is is elicited a very strong reaction on the local front, and what I was really shocked was to see was like some national writers really really getting pissed off about this. Um, I was once a beat writer. I guess I'm now whatever we call a national writer now. I don't care about practice at all unless I'm embedded. If I'm embedded and there's a there's a a thread to a story about a play or a formation or whatever, yeah, I want to go and watch that and see all that kind of stuff, right? The rest of it, I don't care. I don't know. I mean, now, I'm not the same person who's tasked with providing content on a daily basis. That's the tough thing, is it just, it makes reporters feel obsolete, and there's they're very important things that go on. I think as a reporter, you learn a lot, and you can therefore translate translate the knowledge that you glean into if you're a good reporter you can go and talk to these coordinators after practice and kind of get an idea for what they're doing and that's how you build relationships in this industry so i get that but um i was just more shocked at the shock this is not uncommon also it's it doesn't take a a a sleuth to figure this out they've got new coordinators i know miranda was there excuse me but they're going to be doing different things on defense this year they're going to be doing incredibly different things with a new coordinator on offense they want to keep that as tight and close to the vest as possible. Uh, I don't know if this policy will hold up forever. Um, I don't know. People are really vindictive about it, though. They're super pissed. I, well, I mean, it is, especially for the local. Yeah, I mean, you're right. The national guys being mad is, is one thing. But the local guys, especially for an LSU, has like Ross Dellinger and some really good local guys. Um, Ross is a banger. He's being certified. And apparently his problem is that he's good, and so they don't want him anywhere near. But, I mean, I I know people at LSU, and I know Ross has a good relationship with those people. So, I mean, it really is – it does make you feel, if you're a local guy, it does make you feel obsolete because you have nothing to talk about. You're just, uh, you know, speculating like everybody else. Like all the the aggregation sites now, you're you're on the same level as them. Um, And really – 
in terms of my own consumption, I, I, you know, I'd love to know about injuries. So maybe the fact that they're banned from practice altogether is better than like a Tennessee where it's like, okay, you can come, but don't talk about formations. Don't talk about depth. Don't talk about injuries. Don't talk, don't actually talk about anything, but you can come and watch um, and then go about your business. So at least they don't have to go this way. But um, it, it is just, it's really annoying. Like I, it's harder for me to find accurate. I don't care about like, how accurate the depth charts are in terms of like, you know, the first stringer is definitely going to be the first stringer or whatever. I just want to make sure I'm in, when I'm writing about a team or setting up the spreadsheets and everything to, to share with everybody that I'm including the players that need to be included. That's all I'm really asking for. Um, and so just give me kind of a half-assed depth chart and I'll be okay. Just to, so I kind of know like which redshirt freshman do I need to be paying attention to or whatever. Um, so, but it, it's harder to get that than it was three years ago. And that's going in the wrong direction. And, and you know, it, it, it does, you know, it renders local coverage a little, uh, I, I was going to say less useful, but just, it, you know, it's, it's less, you know, they're already struggling in a lot of ways and now they have less to report on too and it just stinks. And so I feel for them. The, the national guys who want to, you know, crow or whatever, that's one thing, but I feel bad for the local guys. Um, how many active depth charts can you get in the SEC right now? How many have you done so um, far? Well, uh, okay, so I've set up uh, Missouri included one in their media guide at SEC Media Days, but they haven't posted their media guide yet. Um, so I don't have that. I don't, I think I got, I'm trying to remember now, they all blend together. Georgia, of course, was very unhelpful. Tennessee was unhelpful. Um, uh, Mississippi State, I think, was unhelpful. And I mean, look, it's so I miss a couple redshirt freshmen. It's not again, it's not the end of the world. And, yeah. and you, if you search around, you can you can kind of find the you know injuries uh, you know that have been leaked anyway. Um, so you know, I don't miss much, but it's just harder. Everything it's it's a little more time consuming than it used to be to try to piece something together because I want to do a good job and I've got my little processes here to do a good job. And so that's just annoying uh, when, you know, you used to get something and now you don't because I don't want my, for my week one opponent to know that the, this is the second string right guard or whatever. That's stupid. And that's, that's, that's kind of the – it feels like you're playing 13-dimensional chess, but really you're not playing anything. You're just, over, you, you're just hurting yourself by overthinking. What is it that you want the most out of the depth chart? Well, I mean, well, I just said, like, just I want the names. I want the names of the guys who are most likely to see but, the field this year. But – do you find I don't know if you've ever done this story. The reason I ask is so in any in any given instance you would probably know half the starters on a team on average, but just based on returning? Probably a little more than half. But okay. yeah, all right, sixty percent. Um I guess what I'm getting at is that with not even with the common not even with the multiple formations or anything like that. Um, I don't know. I just always I kinda the two deep until about October feels kind of worthless anyway. I think it's a weird thing in our business where they hand you a two deep when you cover a game. So everywhere, right. everywhere that you go, even like even schools with, that don't have the money, like they will hand you the big fancy cardboard embossed two deep. But I, very rarely do I look at that two deep and think like, oh, this is accurate. You well, know? no, but it's, it's about odds. It's about, you know, these are the names you're most likely to be talking about or writing about or checking and, you know what position they play. If they're on the line and you see them 10 yards downfield, you don't know where they started and things like that. You at least get a, a more accurate idea than you otherwise would have. I think that's the best way to put it. Of course, they're not completely accurate. They're never completely accurate. And, and, and Missouri, 
Barry Odom, God bless him. Again, he was my favorite player on the 1997 Missouri team. Uh, but he, he he has been super paranoid and tight-lipped and really – his, let's, we'll just say his depth charts are less accurate than than Gary Pinkles used to be. He doesn't put just a ton of uh, of effort into him. But again, I know who's going to probably play, and that's something. See, you should start screwing with him then. I think. I think. Well, so, should, I mean, it's not. I don't care about them. I mean, it's it's not them. It's the fact that I want to give people who read my shit a good, the most accurate possible impression of a team, and that's all it is. And and mm. I, it's harder to do that now. See, it's, it takes longer for you to get genuinely angry about something. We'll work on that. Bill? <laughs> yeah, you've, you've, had to, you've had to deal with me, you know, doing my hashtag Bill C problems in our, in our Slack room the last week or so. Like, oh, hey, look, Tennessee doesn't have anything for me. Oh, <laughs> hey, look. But you don't does. channel that anger back at the schools. Well, no. What, how does that help? I don't know, man, but I love screaming at folks. <laughs> This episode of Podcast Ain't Play Nobody is brought to you by Dollar Shave Club. Here's all you need to know about Dollar Shave Club. I, I got it in the mail, and I shaved. I, I don't know if I need to go any further. I actually used a razor on my face for the first time in almost six years, and it was amazing. The, uh, the shave butter, Dr. Carver's shave butter that it comes with, uh, was very, very easy to apply. Uh, it, 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 it shaves smooth. It does everything you need a razor to do. It comes right in the mail. You don't have to go anywhere to get it. It's, it's pretty incredible. So you get a great shave at a great price. You get it conveniently delivered to your front door. It's a life hack. It's a no-brainer. Uh, you don't have to go to the store. You don't have to buy a disposable razor uh, on the cheap. You don't have to do uh, the opposite and spend a fortune on razors with uh, with shaving tech and gel 38 razors, whatever that you don't need. None of that. just comes in the mail. You put it on your face. It shaves you really, 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 really well. The end. For a limited time, new members uh, get their first month of the executive razor with a tube of the Dr. Carver's Shave Butter for only $5 with free shipping. After that, razors are just a few bucks a month. That's $15 value for only 5 bucks. Uh, in your first month box, you get an awesome weighty handle. It is weighty. A full cassette of four cartridges and a tube of their Shave Butter. After your first month, replacement cartridges ship automatically at their regular price. There are no hidden fees. Uh, there are no commitments, and you can cancel any time you like. You can only get this offer exclusively at dollarshaveclub.com slash NCAA. DollarShaveClub.com slash NCAA. Pete Havern asks, this is a really good question. Probably a question of the show. Uh, with Pitt's recent suspensions and dismissals, I was wondering if teams are required to file uh, explanations with the NCAA for non-academic actions. Um, no, they're not. But, Pete, the question of should they be is fascinating to me. <laughs> yeah. Um... You get into FERPA, and you get into, what's the other acronym? Um, oh, man, is it the Buckley HIPAA. Amendment? HIPAA and is, there's FERPA. There's HIPAA in there? Yeah. Yes. HIPAA is health, and FERPA is privacy. And then there's something called the Buckley Amendment, I think. I don't know. All I know is I was able to very, very quickly take control of where my grades got sent in college as I dove into <laughs> uh, various uh, <laughs> various bad habits. Um, uh I don't know how I feel about this. Um, this almost falls up against the same conversation we've had the last couple of years that Mark Rick was at Georgia of whether or not like leagues should adopt universal suspension policies right. or substance abuse policies. 
I don't know if you're ever going to find a time in which the coaches are going to encourage the ADs and presidents to do that. Because once you're adhering to a, someone else's set of rules, you're going to find ways to circumvent and manipulate those rules. So I don't think it's going to happen. Coaches run very, 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 very different cultures. Yep. Very, very, very... All the things coming out about Hugh Freeze right now, the one thing that still has not been brought to light, and I think it's because of the direction in which certain reporters are looking, is how poorly he managed big-time superstar athletes and rank-and-file players, which is also a, a, a 110% um, certainty that that will ruin your roster's morale all the time, all the time. So um, there are a lot of schools that treat certain players differently. There are a lot of coaches that want to lean on a particular group of players, position group. Uh, it could be the upperclassmen when they come in as a new head coach. Double standards exist all over college football in terms of discipline in the locker room, and I don't think coaches want to give that up. So I don't know if it would ever happen, but um, I don't know. It's very interesting. Non-academic I, actions, It's just that's such a broad term. Yeah. I will say, like, I'll always be impressed that Gary Pinkle kicked uh, Doriel Greenbeckham off the team. Um, yeah, no He could have easily leaned on the technicality of he hasn't been charged with anything. Uh, it was just sitting there waiting for him. And there were, you know, there's rumors that, you know, Mike Alden, his, the athletic director at the time, was really, you know, put force in his hand or whatever. We're, I, we're probably never going to know that story completely. Uh, but the bottom line is they did. They gave their their ace recruit, their, their biggest recruiting chip uh, that they had, they, they kicked him off uh, without being charged for a crime. And, I mean, it was probably deserved, um, but it was still – he didn't have to do that. He could have played the technicality and didn't. So, bully for him. Um, so, just – and real quick as a plug, go over to Cardiac Hill. That's the SB Nation's pit team site. By the way, this, this is why I think the frustration occurs. I don't even know if our listener was a pit fan. Um, Pitt head coach Pat Narduzzi announced disciplinary actions for four players prior to the Panthers' opening of training camp on August 1st. Senior defensive end Roy Blair has been dismissed for, quote, conduct detrimental to the program. Junior offensive tackle Alec Books, Alex Bookser will be suspended for the season opener for his involvement in an off-season legal situation involving a motor vehicle. So that right there you should be able to determine. That's just that's You just got to rely on your beat reporters to go out and, and pound the pavement on that one. Hell, just go check the docket. Right. Um, senior uh, senior linebacker Quinton Reginus. I'm going to go Reginus. Ooh, I don't know. That's an interesting last name. And um, yeah, no. junior safety Jordan Whitehead will both be suspended for the opening three games of the season for violation of team policy. That is frustrating. I, I get that. But also, what a lot of coaches tell me, and you can call this dubious or not, Bill, they want to be able to suspend these guys or send a message without exposing their with the mistakes that they've made. Right, and that's you know you can say that's CYA on the coach's part, but it all there you know to the extent that there's a paternal relationship here. I mean, if you want to uh, you know discipline him without embarrassing him, uh, that could there that could be part of the motivation as well. Um, and, and you know it doesn't always have to be necessarily CYA. Um, it could be there could at least be a little thread of altruism in there as well. Um, I don't know. It's tough. I will say this: uh, I get wanting to instill discipline in your programs that you know create accountability. Um, you want to sit somebody for the FCS game or the homecoming game or whatever. That's fine, but ain't nobody getting a three game suspension for missing a meeting flat out. That's something way worse. Um, and again, that's 
Let me put my douche hat on. That's why we need journalists, Bill. Um, okay. Here we go. Um, oh, you got, you got one. Uh, Samuel King McKinney at SKM. <laughs> this is where I was going. This is where I was which going. Fan base has, which fan base has the largest unearned chip on its shoulder, and why is it Arkansas? I don't think it is. Uh, I, I will say the biggest chip on any shoulder of any fan base in the continental United States is Utah. I think that one's kind of earned, though. I think they've, you know, that was a hard scrabble. Let me put you on the spot right now. So what most of you don't know is that when Bill issues these previews, he gets an instant response from each of the, I would say, the the most hardcore of the hardcores of every fan base, okay? And so when you do a Notre Dame preview, you do an Alabama preview, obviously you're going to get like a large response in general, big fan bases. You have, my friend, angered these little tribes all across college football since I've been working. Go ahead right now. Give me and you don't. You need to put them in order. I want a top ten right now, and I'm going to throw one out right right off the top. Right off the top, I know you've pissed off Iowa, so there's yep. one. I yep. know that you've pissed off Houston. Yep. Okay. So, and the the fun part here is, for the most part, it changes year to year based on what the numbers say. Uh, like Florida State fans loved me when I was saying that they're pretty close to a national title heading into 2013. Florida State fans hated me when I said they they were uh, just you know uh, smoke and mirrors in 2014. So it does, it, you know, it's a, the relationship changes from year to year um, with some teams. Utah fans always hate me. There's no question. So okay, uh, Houston. In terms of the fan bases that I've probably angered the most, yeah, Houston's on there. Florida State's on there. Uh, Miami fans are funny because I, I have I you know they're very angerable. <laughs> Uh, so they're on the list, but they've also, um, you know, found a lot of reinforcement to a lot of the things I've said as well. So they just get angry easily. So they're on the list. Um, I was definitely on the list. All right. How many is that? Now? Would, that's four. Uh, Nebraska is on the list. That's oh, yeah, five. definitely. Is I, I don't I'm I'm not believing that uh, my favorite know, part of Nebraska is sometimes I'll say something on the show, but they'll come after you in the, in the comments. <laughs> Um, the fact that I don't believe Tanner Lee is ready for a Heisman run because he looked good in practice and likes his teammates. Um, okay. I'm not really, you know, Sam Keller didn't win two Heismans. Uh, Marlon Lucky didn't win four Heismans. Uh, Tanner Lee, you know, is, is not a slam dunk uh, future star. So that's f- uh, that's five. Mm-hmm. Um, I make I make Notre Dame fans angry when I compliment them, which I'll makes me that. that's that's fun. We so, have to count Michigan too. See, Michigan, no, Michigan's you. Michigan's, uh, like, we... Wait, you mean to tell me that you're the sole person working in college football media that doesn't draw the ire of Michigan? No, I've drawn ire, but uh, I don't know if they belong on this list. Ooh, Uh, ooh, I got one, I got one. Michigan State. Yeah, yeah, that's been another love-hate relationship, but we've had some, we've had some downs in our relationship, so we'll put them on there. That's seven. Um, Let's see. I feel like I've drawn, let's see, Boise State fans. i got to look at the Mountain West roster because I feel like I've, you know, San Diego State fans get kind of annoyed when I don't immediately proclaim them the new heavy, like sustained moving forward heavyweight champion of, of the uh, Mountain West. So I'll put San Diego State on there. Uh, they're chesty, by the way. They're, they're underrated chesty. Well, you know what? They should, they should direct that chestiness at their own program. I've tried it at least three times since I've, I think I've worked here five or six years to try and go do something at San Diego State, and they have no interest. So yeah. deal with it. 
Uh, Washington State. Really, just the one really? year where I, where I really frustrated Washington State fans. All right, um, you got one more. Man, I got one more, and I haven't really touched the SEC yet. Uh, let's see, Alabama, not really. Not really. Because uh, I mean, well, how am I going to make Alabama fans mad? I always say they're great. Uh, Arkansas, not really. Auburn, a little. Well, Auburn tentative. We'll put uh, Auburn on the maybe list. Not Florida, no. Georgia, um, Georgia fans haven't read my 2017 preview yet. Uh, they might be on the list uh, at that point. All right. Dun, dun, dun. Um, let's see. Ole Miss, definitely not. No. Mississippi State, probably not. South nah. Carolina, no. Ten- South Carolina fans really kind of like me. It's weird. Uh, Tennessee fans, maybe. Uh, but Tennessee fans, just don't, they don't really direct their anger. They just kind of spray it at everybody. So it's really hard to say it was like a skunk personally. Right. All right. Um, yeah, more. we'll put we'll put Georgia on there temporarily, which is funny because I probably have more friend like internet Georgia friends, like just people I like interacting with that are Georgia yeah. fans. But they're probably not going to like me after they read their preview here in a few days. Sounds good to me. Um, oh, and then the entire Sun Belt Conference for you know random like you know misspellings or um, you know or ULLs. Uh, you know, things of that nature. That's not our fault. Take it up with the governor. Um, at K Bear, and Bear is spelled B E H R sixty eight. I'm gonna spell. I spelled out his Twitter handle only because I love his Abby. I think it looks like a T-shirt, and if it is, I want the T-shirt, even though I've actually never been to the state of Iowa. It's in Iowa State colors. It's the outline of the state, and it says actually helping farmers. So if for those of you, oh, know, that's been a that's been a thing. These yeah, last I'm down with a thing. I'm down I mean, with a thing. Down with the thing. Um, unfortunately, he does not. He is not writing in to make fun of Iowa, which is what Iowa State fans do best. He says, "When will the SEC stop scheduling cupcakes near the end of the season?" No, never. Why? That's, they, it's really funny to me, like that. This remains a thing because everybody schedules cupcakes, but doing it in November pisses people off. Like I, I sort of like you know, rivalry week. I sort of get it. But as a writer, A, I don't I love it because we don't have to pay attention to the SEC for a week. We get to kind of shift gears, you know, and, and kind of make sure, like, look at other plot lines for once, uh, which is nice. But, I mean, I, I understand that's a little bit annoying, but it's become this, like, annual outrage. No one, whatever. No one would notice if they didn't do it all at the same time. That's the problem. Well, right. <laughs> you, well, and I, and I, I will say, like, I prefer, like, as a Missouri guy, I prefer my cupcake in week one. Like it would kind yeah. of annoy me if, if or when Missouri starts doing that, just because I mean, you. I think it, it disturbs the rhythm. Uh, you know, when you're kind of amping up, if you play bigger and bigger, bigger games, and then you just take a week off, basically. But that's if you're a fan of that school. I understand why they'd be annoyed. But like Big Twelve fans, Big Ten fans get so irate about it, and it's just such a waste of freaking energy. Um, Jeff Burkhart. Did we we got ten right? Yeah. Um, Jeff Burkhart. Jeff underscore Burkhart. Will we ever see another G5 develop into a brand, a la Boise State or Pat Hill? No no space. It just says, or Pat Hill, Fresno State. UH is obvious answer. Other candidates I'm overlooking. Now, this question gets answered by another listener, all right? And he says, team in San Antonio might possibly fit with <laughs> Then he says, few thoughts on Frank Wilson's team down in South Tejas? Um, so here's my bridge. I went to go see Frank Wilson this week. Um, I went to go see, as I said earlier, Mike Sanford at Western Kentucky. I have been stealthily between baby and long-term projects and investigative work, been putting together campus visits for a series that we're going to unroll in August. And 
basically talking about coaches that you need to need to watch. I feel a little weird framing it that way for this listening audience. You probably know about those coaches right. if you're if you're neck deep with us in the muck, but most of America does not. Um, so I will say this: uh, I'll have a thing on Frank Wilson. Went down. Um, early impressions were the guy is a star in the making. Um, obviously, has had so much time as an assistant. Kind of got late, you know. Kind of carries two marks against him. One, African American head coach, incredibly hard to get jobs in the part of the country where he's from. Two, he's got the big scarlet R in that he's a recruiter and just a recruiter. And as Bill's preview would tell you, that's not the case after last year. They right, he, coached, he improved as much he, as he possibly yeah, could. Last they coach they coach football games just like anybody else would coach football games. It's not like he doesn't understand down and distance or a route tree just because he's landed literally. In the last five years, that that because it was oh nine, yeah, ten, so longer than that. When Wilson was at Les Miles' disposal in Baton Rouge, every major New Orleans star that you know in America, Frank Wilson had a hand on. Tyrann Matthew, um, Leonard Fournette, eighty million linebackers. I can't think of off the top of my head. Two to play for the Falcons. I know who they are. He he was the primary recruiter and discovered both. Fought for both. Um, Deion Jones and uh, Duke Riley. So the dude is unbelievable. I think he's gonna. I think he's a, a star in the making. What they're doing down there is pretty impressive too. In that they really, some schools, Bill, will start with kind of the fledgling, the the little pieces of the of the infrastructure and the administration that you need for an FBS football program. UTSA was just like, hey guys, we're going. Everybody take clothes off. Let's go streaking. We're doing it. Like that was pretty much the impromptu nature. In which they did it. Now it was a, it wasn't a risky bet because they're in Texas, right? Where and they're sitting on I ten. They're in the seventh, I think seventh or eighth biggest city in America, San Antonio. Now it's huge, so they're fine in terms of you bringing a guy who knows I ten better than anyone else in the country. You're still on I ten, except you're in Texas. You're gonna do fine getting talent there. How they build out the fan base, donors, um, what they do about on campus facilities, all that is still TBD, but. To be totally honest, I don't know how. I mean, I'll, Frank, Frank Wilson will be have been scooped up by somebody at that point. Yeah, and that's I hate it because I wish uh, he was a super young guy that was unproven, and and we could watch what he actually builds at UTSA. We won't necessarily get to see a ton of that because he won't be around long enough. But at the very least, you know, if he can if he can upgrade things to the point where they make another, they have better odds of making another good hire when he leaves. That's something at least. Now, to answer the original question, this is question inception. Jeff Burkhardt's question, will we ever see another G5 develop into a brand? Um, I think Houston's the brand right now. Um, it just really is dependent on how many games. It's Cal takeover, yeah. I mean, how many games Applewhite loses in his first season. If it's more than three, there's an issue. If it's less than three, they're fine. They have Kyle Allen. They have Ed Oliver. I mean, probably, like, starting on every single Power 5 team in the country. If Ed Oliver were to walk away from Houston and get some instant transfer to any other team in the country, I think he would be starting. I, I mean, I'm not asking you to recall the defensive line. No, he's awesome. But, I mean, I just think he's un, he's ungodly. Um, I think Staples – I wrote about him for Athlon in, the pre, in their preview, and I think Staples for SI was down there last week. So, um, Any other brands, G5? Like, Boise's, well, still, Boise's still a thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, the two ways to become a brand are to get good in a, in a city or to be really good for a long time. And um, – and so, you know, obviously San Diego State has its issues, but you're talking about Temple, 
if Temple, if, if Jeff Collins ends up being a good hire and then the guy after him becomes a good hire and you've just got consistently, you know, just, you know, salty defenses and hard, you know, blue collar, whatever, 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 uh, you could see Temple becoming kind of like that quote unquote brand. Um, oh, I got one. Okay. Western Kentucky. Okay. What else do they have to do? First off, let, well, me, back, got, let me back up and say this. They got to get people to show up. That, 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 no, that, that, that's, what I'm, like, that's what I'm being incredulous about. You're hosting conference championship games and no one's showing up at a, at a stadium where you, like, I think you can sell that bad boy out at, like, 18,000, okay? I know that you're training a culture of people in a basketball state to really care and engage in football in a different way, but they were an FCS team for a long time. Jack Harbaugh coached there. Obviously, Willie Taggart played quarterback there in an option system. I know that they're not, like – Charlotte or Georgia State or South Alabama, but in a way they are because they just sort of appeared and then they were really, really bad after their transition for a couple of years. Taggart took them, made them into something. Taggart transitioned out. The problem is there's st- not problem. The benefit for them is there's still Florida connections and Florida recruiting that Taggart touched all those years ago. They're still it's still paying off. Um, look, Todd Stewart, the AD at Western Kentucky, should be complimented. He's the only person in the world not to get burned by Bobby Petrino. <laughs> And only because he knew he had the mitts on already, pretty much. I think it's because, one, you were getting him at sort of a dent and scratch sale. And two, whether – I don't think Stewart ever admitted this publicly, but it was obvious that Petrino was going to move on as soon as humanly possible and that Jeff Brom was ready to go. And now Jeff Brom has moved on, and they've gone out and made another big dynamic hire, and they're not afraid of playing the carousel. And I think that's what's interesting about Western Kentucky. Now, none of this matters if the culture doesn't start to grow underneath that. Sanford talked to me a little bit about that, um, about what he saw at Boise and the way that Harson managed expectations. Because I asked him, I said, look, you're coming into a school that doesn't sell, doesn't sell out its conference championship game when it's playing one of the most exciting brands of offense in the entire country, okay? And on top of that, you're following up Jeff Brom and Bob Petrino. And then he, he, I mean, he had a very good point. He, he worked for Chris Peterson. He worked for Harson. Like, he, he understands that Boise dynamic pretty well. And then he also worked for David Shaw, who was in probably the, an even tougher situation than, than even Harson uh, Peterson to Harson. When Harbaugh left, left, left Stanford, that was it, right? They were supposed to be terrible. So, right. um, if you, yeah, like, if you want a hipster football team, I think the one in Bowling Green would be, <laughs> it, that, like, there, it, they sound better than every other band that you've heard of, and they're your favorite band's favorite band. Yeah, they're, they were really fun last year, and I hope that continues. I think the Boise example is a good one for them to try to follow. But the thing – okay, and so just the full disclosure here in a couple of weeks, you're going to read about Godfrey going to these coaches. You know, you're also going to read a big piece from me about how Boise State – built what they built because i went out to boise in june my last two work trips by the way have been to boise and stevens point wisconsin um which i i have no idea how i ended up in this place but they they keep paying me um so the biggest thing that boise did and and you know not to spoiler my own piece that hasn't been written yet but the one of the biggest things they did was they every every like little uh cycle of success they had they went back to the community and they, you know, got the community to invest further. Like, if you want this to continue, this is everybody. It's, it's all in. Everybody's got to support this. And you've got to – meanwhile, you, I mean, in the locker room, you've got the seniors, you know, teaching the culture to the freshmen. That's fine. Western Kentucky can get that part down. Once you've succeeded enough and you, you – if you can keep the recruiting classes going, that's great. But it was the community aspect that I think made Boise really, really unique. The community completely and totally bought into that program – 
big, uh, the big the Boise companies, and there are some decent companies in Boise, uh, they were investing in the school. Yep. Uh, the, like the buildings, uh, there are many buildings on campus that were built sort of because of the football program. Um, and the whole ship got kind of elevated in that regard. And that's the area where, I mean, hey, Bo- Bowling Green, Kentucky, I hear is very beautiful, and I hope to visit it there is. one day. It's not Boise. Uh, you know, they don't have a little Microsoft office downtown, I don't think. And um, they got a Corvette museum. They don't have the the really kind of awesome Basque restaurants down in downtown, too, that were lovely. Um, They don't have 38 breweries, I'm guessing, as well. But regardless, that's there. You realize that you travel a lot different than me because I've been to Boise State three times. I think twice I ate dinner at the Whole Foods in the parking lot. I did eat one. I did eat one meal in the Whole Foods Foods parking lot. So you know, fist pound on that one. But I just walk. I like I was done by like six p.m. both days. I just walked downtown and had beers and 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 ate at restaurants. It was great. Okay, so Bill's uh, in love with Boise. Check. It was. It's a lovely place. Uh, and their SID is also in love with Boise and will sell you on it in a heartbeat. Shout out to um, Joe. I think he listens to the show. Um, yeah, Joe, one of the better SIDs out there. Uh, anyway, anyway, that's the area where, to, to stop the rambling, that's the area where Western Kentucky is going to really struggle to back that up because they don't have that kind but of But it just takes time. Yeah, it takes time and, and it takes benefactors. And, and Well, but and it just all, it takes a city too sometimes. And they don't have, like, they, you know, Bowling Green is in 600,000 or whatever Boise is. So and that's why, that's why, that's why but to, to circle it back, that's why the Houston thing was so tactical was that yeah. Herman and those guys and oh yeah oh yeah and, and that's why that's why I thought a temple too is I think that's it's it's easier when you're in a city it's not impossible if you're not but it's easier when you are Fresno State might fall into one of those aberrations as as time goes on it's going to be to me it's a tougher job than people realize I think yeah, I think Pat true. Hill had something at a certain time in a certain place in the whack. I don't know if that's replicated anytime soon. Uh, yeah, and it, it wasn't, and he didn't even maintain it for all that long. They were solid for a while, but they were only really kind of awesome for like a year or two. At Ninja Ninja RXA says SEC QB play has become an oxymoron. When is the last time we saw a legitimately talented QB on most of the SEC teams? Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on now. Come on now. Um, one. Dak Prescott is like yeah seriously that was two years all ago. <laughs> universe for the Dallas Cowboys right now. Um, there's there's been great quarterback play. At, here's the, here's where this the, the, here's the truth behind this question. Not to stutter too much. There's been dynamic quarterback play in non traditional spots in the SEC. It's funny. Look at Chad Kelly at Ole Miss before he gets injured. Right, dynamic quarterback play. Dak Prescott yeah. at Mississippi State, dynamic quarterback play. Now, you go over to Alabama, they haven't had that presence in a while. Florida, LSU, struggled at quarterback. That's what that's the gist of this, is that... Right, and you just, yeah, like, oh, and first of all, Alabama, I mean, if we're, if we're playing technicalities, uh, it's only been a few years since Alabama had a quarterback who finished second in the Heisman vote. <laughs> Sorry, I, 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 didn't, I couldn't say that with a straight face, but technically it's true. Uh, and within the last 10 years of Florida, number one, they had this, this guy Tebow, and then they also had Cam Newton, who then went to another SEC school and was, like, the best quarterback of the last 10 years. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a very – part of it is, is like you said, Florida LSU. Part of it is that, every, like, almost every team in the conference had a new quarterback last year. 
and a lot of them therefore stunk. This year, they're not new. This year, uh, Alabama has a, is no longer going to try to win a national title with a true freshman. Well, you know, maybe, because they got another stud freshman in, but probably not. Uh, Arkansas has a pretty good senior quarterback. Auburn has, you know, Stidham. The, Stidham, supposedly the best transfer, a guy who was awesome at Baylor, but, you know, barely played and then got People hurt. legitimately putting Heisman talk around him. People know. Right. Which, which makes me nervous, but I buy that. Like, well, let's just, say, let's just say I buy that more than I buy Tanner Lee hype. But, like, um, but here's the deal. Hurts, Etling, all those guys, they're going to be better. Patterson and Ole Miss, going to be better. Um, Jacob Ethan was yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, that's where I was headed. top 2016 quarterback prospect and, and looked at two or three times last year. Not enough, and but he was a true freshman. Um, you South know, Kentucky's. Kentucky's four-star kid uh, didn't really – hasn't panned out yet anyway, Barker. But South Carolina will be better. Missouri will be better. Uh, Mississippi State just produced Dak Prescott and now has the best rushing quarterback in the conference. Uh, he's a tank, and, and the whole season, if I'm a Mississippi State fan, I'm just nervous every single time he's running the ball. Oh, please don't get hurt, don't get hurt, don't get hurt. Because, like, after him, it's a true freshman and a walk-on. That's my but, thing about Stidham is, like, wasn't Stidham banged up at Baylor? Yes. And don't quarterbacks get banged up in that offense at Auburn? Right, but now, like, there was a month last year where Sean White caught fire. And then he got hurt, too, and and everything kind of fell apart in November. But they were awesome in October with Sean White. So now at least you've got an insurance policy. If Stidham gets hurt, a healthy Sean White's pretty solid. That's true. And so I trust that situation really. I mean, both of them could get hurt, obviously, but that's still a solid situation. Tennessee has, you know, Tennessee is starting over A and M. If Tennessee had Dobbs this year with the offensive line depth that they have now, right. <laughs> and the and the sort of calmer sense of identity that I if, think if one of their like three times that they intended a redshirt and but didn't actually stuck, yeah. I, you know what's so funny is, but I think that's a great example. Not to dive too much into Tennessee here for a second. Had they had they really embraced the long view, but I don't think they were given the luxury to then right. you would have Josh Dobbs right now, and you would have him behind a great offensive line. And I'm not saying Dobbs was that caliber of quarterback, but I think that to judge him based on the weird, weird years of early Butch Jones is not right. – I don't think that's fair. The problem is that Butch had to come in and, you know, the house was completely on fire. And so it was like you got to do everything you could immediately to win as much as you could right then. And that backfired. Right. It didn't work out. Yeah, the only time I think in a job like Tennessee, the only time you have a chance to do things patiently is the very first year. And then after that, it's just all hands on deck at all times. Um, and, and, you know, and he's still, they, they've still been okay. Uh, Butch Jones has made a lot of his own self-inflicted wounds, uh, but his record actually isn't all that terrible. But no, I mean, the bottom line here is like two-thirds of the teams in the SEC are going to have better quarterback situations than last year. So this is a very short-term issue. I don't think it's something that it, this is where we get lazy and we just go. It's the Alabama effect. No, it's not. Alabama had nothing. <laughs> Alabama had nothing to do with you know uh, the the quarterback situation at Florida. Alabama had right. nothing to do with the fact that. I mean, I guess Alabama had everything to do with the fact that Georgia fired Mark Rick and then they bring right. in freshmen. But also, no, it, it's just I don't know that it, it, we suddenly want to either credit or blame or simultaneously do both to Bama for everything in the league, and that's just lazy. Sometimes you just lose all your quarterbacks in a year. And, uh, like, the ACC is going to deal with that this year. They lo- f- The top five from the Coastal all have new quarterbacks. Well, guess what? Not all of them are going to be as good as they were last year because at least a couple of those guys are going to struggle. And so that's just the way it goes sometimes. Uh, at J. Colville 12 asks, why isn't Wyoming getting more love in the MWC? I've seen them low as, as low as fifth in division in some predictions. Well, I'm a fan, so I'm going to let you answer that one. Okay. Well, 
problem is that five of the six best te- uh, programs in the Mountain West are in the in, are in their division, and so uh, you, you can get picked fifth in the uh, uh, in the in the division, but be sixth in the conference. Right. That's not, that's not really that big a, a, a quote unquote disrespect kind of issue. Look, but basically, the Mountain West is just that deep. Okay, you can compete with the SEC. That's what we're saying. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, you know. That's uh, we'll go with that. And I will say, too, they, they do still have to prove themselves from an efficiency standpoint. That's my one. I love having, uh, you know, everybody in college football going out to cover <laughs> Wyoming's quarterback. But Josh Allen did only complete 56% of his pass last year and throw 15 interceptions. I don't love that because i got to figure out a way to get out there. And that SID is probably going to tell me to screw off. Um, yeah, that's right. we got a bigger. But then they – but not only is he still learning how to be efficient, he's without Brian Hill. He's without uh, his top three uh, receiving targets from last year. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's not a given that they're just going to pick up where they left off last year. Right. So, you know, you got those things working against you. Uh, Ryan Dewey um, asks, uh, T underscore Ryan Dewey. That's a weird name. Do better. Um, he, uh, Ryan's, Ryan's a good <laughs> Ryan listens. Ryan listens to us every week. He sends in something every week. Uh, more for, oh, wait. Oh, he has two questions. All right, Cheater. Well, We'll do them both. That's fine. Can Ole Miss hire a good coach in December if the COI decision is still not issued or being appealed? Um, that won't be the scenario. That's the shortest way to answer that. <laughs> They're going to meet in September or October, and it scares them October, November, December. Well, actually, if they meet in October, October, November, December, there's up to 90 days, I think, unless it's a 60-day rule at that point. I'll double-check. That's highly unlikely. I just got a headache. Ole Miss um, is trying to – so basically Ole Miss is trying to expedite this as fast as possible – for that reason right now, which is also why I'm going to say it every week when you see something stupid on the internet about Chip Kelly or about Les Miles, <laughs> not real, or when you see 25 candidates that Ole Miss could hire. No, 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 no. There is no list right now. They have, they can't be a list right now because they've got to figure out, hey, coach, that we would like you to come coach our team. Uh, you won't be able to go to a bowl until 2020. We don't know that yet, so... Basically, what it means is they will. If this isn't settled, they'll have to overpay. Uh, is what it comes down to. They're going to do that. They can still attract plenty, right? But I mean, it would be even more so because of the uncertainty. It's and and so you know maybe that maybe that lops off like whatever the top the most expensive name on the list is. Maybe that not lops off that name. Otherwise, it just means they got to pay a premium. I think. Uh, More for Bill. Any research out there on how much you can rush your quarterback before you see diminishing returns as a passer? Man, we I should, love that question. We should, I, we should ask that I, question I, two Auburns ago. Yeah, um, I, I hate that I have absolutely no answer for it. It's kind of fun uh, to think about. I would say, I mean, the diminishing returns as a passer would, would be more likely to come from the fact that he gets hurt, not that, like, right. his legs get tired or something. Um, I think, generally speaking, the more a guy rushes, the probably the, – the better rusher he is, you know, you, you don't find too many guys who are really good rushers and amazing passers. There's usually kind of a trade off. But generally speaking, the diminishing return would be, you know, injury risk. But yeah, that'd be fun. I, I, I'll, I'll keep that in mind if I ever have a moment to kind I don't of. Know how, I don't know how you would do that. I don't know how you would do that. Well, I think, um, well, it'd probably have to be like a per in-game kind of scenario, which makes it tricky. But um, you know, anything can be done technically. All right, we got to go fast because we haven't even touched on some stuff, and we're already at seventy minutes. Um, Finn Cooley asks, what does Matt Luke have to do to be made permanent head coach? Beat Alabama and win nine games. Probably not going to happen. <laughs> um, oh, 
Oh man, this is a tough one to to do quickly. Uh, at Godfather Bos says if you're not if you're not going to a game, what's the best city to bar hop on a college football Saturday? I don't know if he just means a city in America to watch college football in a bar at, or if he means a, like a college town and you go and you don't have a ticket. Um. Well, let me tell you about this place called tough. Boise, Idaho. Oh my God. Oh, sorry. Um. I think most major cities have enclaves where you can watch a lot of college football. I've been in San Francisco and done that before. I've been in New York City and done that. Um, I think if you're not, if you're in a college town, you don't get a ticket, and you still want to go and watch the game. I think, man, that's a tough question. I, they they're going to be out right now, or? Well, no, I, I think that's just a, co- a feature of a college town. You're, you're going to have a lot of fun um, yeah. going to the local bars. I would say like Madison, Lincoln, Athens. Uh, yeah. Anywhere with a lot of bars, you know. Oxford, um, even but even towns that don't get that kind of respect, like Gainesville, on a game day, it's going to be a blast regardless. Yeah. Um, all right, Bill. we got to wrap this up, but I do want to ask you, where are you at in uh, the previews? Vanderbilt, your boys, went up today. Hey. Um, South Carolina went up on Friday. Missouri goes up tomorrow. Georgia goes up on Wednesday. Trying to get ahead a little bit because I am going to a <sighs> – 20-year class uh, reunion. You old! Yeah, I'm old. Um, so I will be drinking Bud Light in Weatherford, Oklahoma on Friday and Saturday night. I just realized um, my 20 years is not that far away. Yeah. We, we all old. Um, I didn't go to my 10, not going to my 20. But yeah, so the, those are the... Put up Vanderbilt today. What's interesting, I mean, number one, it's kind of funny that I'm starting with basically five straight uh, SEC East teams. Go figure. But uh, it, it, one of the dynamics here, I've been talking, I've mentioned a few different times in this offseason about how there's so much returning production in the, uh, um, in the SEC East that you've got a lot of teams, it'll be a more competitive conference. I hadn't really thought about what that necessarily means for teams' records, but like South Carolina's projected record is basically five and seven or six and six. Vanderbilt's projected record is five and seven or six and six. Missouri's five and seven or six and six. Um, Kentucky, I think, is at seven, if I remember right. Georgia. Georgia. Now, okay, we mentioned this in Slack, and I will go ahead and throw this out there um, because I, I, really, I, I really liked Athens the one time I visited, but for whatever reason, I, I really do enjoy poking Georgia fans. Um, it's fun. There is a scenario on the table. After last year where Georgia went eight and five and was really just kind of lucky to play a slightly weaker schedule to go eight and five yeah, uh, because they suddenly plummeted into like the 60s in S&P Plus, um, there is a scenario on the table where they go seven and five this year, uh, and there is a scenario on the table where they go seven and five while Miami wins the Coastal for the first time ever. Um, you know, I, I mean, there. It's. It, I would say Georgia is probably the the prime candidate, if any team, to to really benefit from the quote unquote second year leap. And I get that. You know, all you have to do is look at Nick Saban's first year at Alabama. Like sometimes it just takes a reset year, and I get that. Um, but they better. They better. Please, take it in please don't. Leap. Please don't tell me you're talking about 2017 Georgia and, and 20. Uh, 2008 Bama. No, but like just I, I understand that there, you know, there are second year leaps and, and uh, a lot of really, really good coaches have, you know, pretty crappy first year teams. And so it happens, but it better happen. 
Um, yeah, and I was just continue. I was just continue. You say I don't. I don't rail against teams enough. Well, Georgia fired a classy guy who was winning 10, 10 games a year, and I know all. I know every single missed opportunity that Georgia experienced under Mark Richt. I know every single near miss, every loss, every bad coordinator hire, uh, and he he won ten. He won ten damn games a year and was classy as hell. Uh, and you fired him because you wanted more, and you're not getting more yet. You better get more this year is all I'm going to say. Like, it can happen. It can absolutely happen. They got Nick Chubb. If Chubb suddenly looks like early 2015 Nick Chubb again, then a lot of their problems are immediately solved. Um, but, ugh, man, yeah, anyway. All right, bud. Needle, 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 needle. Reader questions sort of guided us through the whole show. Uh, hats yeah. off to the readers this week. I always say reader questions, listener questions, listener questions. Um, yes. <laughs> I didn't even think about it, yeah. All right, you can follow that man at SBN underscore Bill C. I'm at 38 Godfrey on, on the Twitters. Um, we'll be back next week. Um, we're pretty much, not pretty much done, but getting close to the end of the team-by-team um, team preview. Yeah. How many left? Six, um, I've done two SECs, so 12. Well, okay, as we write this, I'm saying by, by next week's show. Um, we're getting there, so we'll have two more shows dedicated to the previews. Um, yep. And then, let's see. We'll actually have to talk about football, football. It's kind of terrifying. Like, like week one type of stuff, yeah. I know. That's absolutely, absolutely terrifying. you got to commit to a chicken bed here pretty soon. Oh, well, that's up to Jason Kirk because he is hiding from the truth. Well, it was funny. So in, the, in our Slack room, in our, in our college football Slack room the other day, they were trying to figure out candidates for the chicken bed, this, this being the uh, pick an over-under for a bad team and whoever wins uh, – it has to buy the other chicken, except it's theoretical chicken. Nobody ever actually gets bought chicken. Yeah. Um, well, it's theoretical and, chicken because Jason doesn't honor his bets. <clears throat> anyway, so uh, what we learned last week is that is that Godfrey and Jason agree on every single team. It's tough uh, right now. <laughs> like, oh no, no, I can't, I can't uh, pick them. They're going to be bad. I can't pick them. They're going to be good, and and so on and so on. So. Uh, the struggle, it's uh, it's quite real. It's very quite real. All right, um, Bill, you want to do this again next week? Let's do it. Roll Tide.